Okay, so we're gonna do something a little bit different. This is our 30th episode and I wanted to make this a special episode. And so, like I said, we are going to do something a little different. We're not gonna talk about any particular movie. This is the Wild 7 manifesto slash personal statement or whatever you wanna call it. Wild 7 is my production company. And I wanted to make, I don't know, like a statement of purpose. But really what I wanted to do was I wanted to open up. You see, if you're listening to this, I want to take it to the next level. Let's let's do this. Let's really take it to the next level. Let's get real. Let's get so real that you might OD on realness just by listening to this. Okay, that's how real we're going to get. So before I begin, I just want to say uh, I'm very happy right now. I'm super happy because of the fact that I started shooting my feature, Debbie and the Devil. I am so happy. One thing you have to understand about me is that I've been in the process of making my first film since I was 12. Like every month I would have a different idea and okay, this is going to be my, my, my next film. This is going to be, I mean, not my next film, my first film. And it was so important to me. And, you know, well into my 20s and I'm 34 now and, uh, I, you know, I'm still like that. Like every you know, script that I've written has been a script that I wanted to direct, uh, you know, as my first feature. And it's been very, it's a very important thing to me. And sometimes I feel like I've overthought it. But having done what I just did, I I, I feel great. Like, you know, I, I got really lucky. I, if there's one thing that I've been lucky about in these past, uh, I don't know, like 11 years of, of making short films and writing scripts, it's that I've always been able to find the right people. You know, just meeting friends and making, you know, uh, colleagues and acquaintances. And, 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 you know, I've been really, really incredibly lucky. I cannot sit here and be like, oh, man, it's been a rough ride. But, you know, it wasn't always uh, so easy. So I guess I'll just start getting into it okay so but basically you know i shot this scene uh it's it's the beginning of debbie and the devil it's like the opening scene and i was really lucky and this goes into what i was saying about being able to f being lucky in terms of finding a crew and stuff you know i hooked up with the uh, this uh, director of photography lucas Petassi, who started out as a gaffer so he's very light intensive and stuff and we had a great crew and we shot this scene and it just ended up beautifully like i was I was over the moon just looking at the footage and it just felt so great because it's like, yes, I have a movie. I have a movie. It's not something in my head. I mean, it's the beginning. It's the tip of, of what I'm doing. It's it's a start. But I was just so happy because, A, I'm like, A, I, I started making my film and I just feel so halfway relieved because I'm not finished with it. But B, I'm just happy that it looks pretty it looks the, the the footage looks beautiful and it looks sorry about my mic but like it, it just looks great and that has a lot to do with uh you know the crew that I got with Lucas Patasi with the guys that he brought on to the thing and stuff like that so I'm really happy I'm happy that I have a good crew I have a good actress Scarlett Brooks who's amazing and uh I'm a lucky guy you know I'm a truly blessed guy or lucky or whatever you want to say but, um, you know, I think after doing 30 of these and uh, some time has passed in my life, I think now I feel comfortable talking about what I'm about to talk about. Um, and maybe I have a little trepidation. Maybe I'm a little nervous. Maybe I'm 
not scared because I don't, I'm not scared of nothing, but uh, maybe I'm a little like, I've, I've thought about, should I do this? Should I talk about this? And it's like, you know, yeah, I should. You know, recently a woman tweeted me about my Fifty Shades of Grey episode where I talked about going to a dominatrix. And the re I, I know the reason why she liked it was because I was being honest, because I was, I was, you know, telling a story about, you know, something that I went through and it was funny or whatever. You know, she thought it was funny. She tweeted me. I don't know this woman, but she's a very nice lady, you know, tweeting me about this episode and stuff. And so I realized, you know, doing 30 episodes of this, I want whoever listens because I have a, a small audience now you know having done this for almost a year or maybe a couple of months shy of a year I want you to know who Nas Red is who is this guy that that does a podcast about talking about movies and just talks about movies and who is this guy that's going to that is making this film Debbie and the Devil who is this man of mystery that I am and what I want to say is I am eight years old Nas Red is eight years old. Nas Red was born in Twin Towers Correctional Facility in Los Angeles. That's like uh, jail, basically. That's where I got the name Nas Red. And uh, I will go into the, the, the story and I hope, uh, I hope, you know, I hope something positive can come out of me talking about this because it's not too, too related to films you know eight years ago i gave up my dreams and in giving up my dreams it's like the rolling stone lyric uh lose your dreams and you may lose your mind i got incredibly angry because for a second for one stupid second of my life i turned my back on cinema and i chose to be angry instead instead of uh, being in love with the medium that really is about love. Like making a movie is, it's the opposite of making war. It's, it's making love, not war. Like it's a group of people getting together to create something to entertain people that they don't know. Hopefully, you know, like that people will see it and stuff. And war is the exact opposite. War is a group of assholes getting together to, to bomb another group of assholes and kill kids and this and that. And I'm not into that. I'm not a violent guy. I really am not. But in telling this story, I feel like I want to clear the air a little bit because, you know, there's this other guy named Nasir Astanbus, and he was born in 1983, February 27th, and he was born in Portland, Oregon, and he's a nice guy, and that guy is also me. But who is Nas Red? Where did Nas Red come from? And again, I'll, I'm telling you, Nas Red came from Twin Towers Correctional Facility. The morning that I was arrested... I was on a complete campaign to offend everyone in LA. I was very angry. Now, I could bore you with why I was angry, but, you know, I was 26 at the time, and I realized in just living life at a certain point, we all have reasons to be angry, all of us. And it's our choice what we do with that anger. Do we... Do we bury it? Do we work through it? Do we uh, allow it to, to uh, be the uh, pilot in our speech and we talk very angry? What, you know, what do we do with this anger? Well, at 26, I was very angry, you know, and I, again, I could bore you with why I was angry and wow, 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 but, but I was just angry and I wasn't working through what was making me angry. And, uh, you know, I was at a constant war 
I felt like I was at war with everybody, with my family, with my friends, with, with everyone. I was just very angry. I was so on fire that the weekend I was arrested, I dyed my hair like punk red. And it looked like my, my hair, which is kind of puffy, even though I started, you know, slicking it back, you know, even though I'm... It's a shame. I'm, 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 my, my, my hair, I'm bald almost. Uh, and, you know, I, I didn't, I said I wasn't going to bore you with why I was angry, but that's maybe part of it. You know, losing hair as a man is, is incredibly debilitating to the ego and self confidence. But anyway, I'm joking. But uh, I dyed my hair like punk red, right? Because I was just so, I just had this desire to, to express this fire. I was walking around LA so angry. Like the only, I had an iPod. The only type of music that I wanted to listen to was the most aggressive rap music. Like Tupac, Eminem, 50 Cent. Like I was just listening to this music and singing it at the top of my lungs through the streets of LA. Because I was so damn angry and I wanted everyone to know it. I was pissed. Why? But again, because I was I was balding, you know. But uh, again, a joke. Haha. <laughs> but I was angry. The morning that uh, I got the the morning of the night of my arrest, I went to Venice, and when I this is just so you know saying it out loud, and I actually I'm, you know, I haven't really spoken about this to anyone other than like my therapists and 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 close friends and stuff like that, but. I was very angry. I was so angry. I went to Venice. And my big thing was, and again, you have to understand this about me. I'm not a violent guy. Physical violence is not something I'm good at. It's not something I enjoy. I hate it in real life. I only like it in movies. And that's it. I'm not a violent person. It's just not in my DNA. But the one weapon that I always had, and I still have. My my when I go out, my my f hand is always you know hovering around my holster in case someone says something to me. My weapons are my words. I've always used words as a weapon. You know, growing up Persian in a white society in America, you know, was I don't want to be like eh, it's hard, but like you know, it, it, people goof on you, so you gotta you gotta develop your armor and you gotta develop a defense mechanism, and you know, and so words have always been my weapon, and so my mentality, which is so insane, it's so stupid what I was doing, but my thing that I was doing was I was going around insulting anybody that I could. I remember I went to Malibu, you know, and I was just angry, just an angry fucking guy, right? And I walked, I was walking on the beach and I would just go on these walks to like blow off steam. But then if I came across someone that I could insult, I would insult them, which is so dumb. It's so like, you know, if I saw someone doing that, I'd be like, hey, what are you doing? Why, why, why all the anger? You know, like I went to Malibu. And there was this heavy set woman, a heavy set middle aged woman, or, you know, momish looking woman. And she was standing by this like burger place, like by the beach, like a cabana kind of country clubbish kind of thing. And she looked like a rich woman, which, you know, whatever. Uh, and she was standing there and she was like looking at the menu. And I'm like, ma'am, are you going to make a decision or what? And then she was like, oh, yeah, no, no, I'm just trying to decide, decide. I was like, well, I have a feeling you're going to, like, have every food on the thing because you're so damn fat and, you know, kids are starving in Africa and you're fucking f stuffing your fat face. I said that to a woman. It wasn't even, I, I think I said it in a much cooler way, but, like, I, I said that to someone that I don't even know just because I was so angry. The morning that I got arrested, I went to Venice to 
you know, cap on people and stuff like that. And I grew up in the 90s, so yo mama this, you know, like snaps and stuff was a big thing. So, you know, I was just, I was angry, angry. And the funny thing is, and let me do this little digression before I get back to, you know, I see lots of angry people these days on the news and on TV and stuff like that. And so hopefully, you know, in me talking about this, hopefully you can... You can extrapolate whatever you want. And hopefully, I, again, I hope some sort of positive comes from me talking about this. I went to Venice. My hair is bright red. I'm wearing a Hawaiian shirt. I'm pissed. I'm angry. And I want everybody to know it because I was being a complete baby. These three kids, this fat kid and uh, these other two kids, and they looked like they were 12 or 13 or 14, or around there, right? Like, beginning teens, right? And this fat kid uh, goes up to me. And, like, to give you an example, like, like uh, I, I was walking on the boardwalk. I saw this hot woman. And I just said, like, it was nothing. What's up, bitch? And then these Mexican kids behind me were all like, ah, he said, what's up, bitch? Ah, and they started laughing. But I, if I could go back, I would say, that's not nice. Don't say that, Nasir. And that's not cool, Mexican kids, what, what I said. That's not a good thing to strive for in life. But anyway, so these kids come up to me. The fat kid goes up to me and says, hey, can you buy us some cigarettes? And I just went off on this poor kid. I said, dude, you're fat and you want to have cancer too? Do me a favor, I said to the other kids. Do me a favor. Tomorrow at school, tell everybody that I made fun of this kid. I called him Jabba the Hutt. I, I, I made Jabba the Hutt noises. I kept going, Jabba the Wookie. And I capped on this poor fucking kid for five minutes just for asking me to buy him cigarettes. Because I was angry. I was angry. But then also I was like, well, this fucking kid, he has his whole life ahead of him. And he wants to smoke cigarettes like me. It's it's such a monkey, you know, uh, habit. Like, you know, sucking on nicotine like a chimp. And I said, uh, you know, like, you're fat and you want to have cancer too? What the fuck is that, you spoiled little brat? You know? And the, the, the kids with him were kind of laughing at him. But then after a while, I was capping on him so hard and I went so long just insulting this poor kid, like really sh pushing him into the ground uh, emotionally that it wasn't funny. And it was, even I was like, dude, Nas, calm down. Like the kid just asked you for cigarettes. You did that when you were a kid. So calm, relax, you know. And so I, I, I walked off and I just, I was insulting every fucking person that I could insult. My I was in such a, I had such a bad uh, energy between myself and my parents and my brother. It was, it was just all around bad. And, you know, it, it just wasn't a good time. And so I went throughout the whole day just walking through Santa Monica, insulting everybody that I could find. Any, anybody, you know, like even big guys. Because, you know, I always knew that like certain big guys that look kind of like super ripped. You can tell which guys are super ripped because they want to look good and they spend lots of time in the gym to look good so they look good at the club and then you could tell the guys that are just big just because they kick ass i was smart enough not to insult anybody that looked big that they could kick ass but the the guys that looked that had the douche uh, muscles i would insult them uh, terribly i was sitting you know around that time i was like sitting outside and this is, again, I'm not proud of any of this stuff, but it was just my only way that I could express my anger. I felt like my art wasn't doing it anymore. It wasn't, you know, exercising that demon. Anyway, I don't want to say what I said to this one guy. It was really mean and it was unnecessary, but I won't go there. Let's, let's, let's stay focused. 
So that night, I go insulting and, and offending and, and, and screaming and yelling on Montana Avenue because that's where my family shop was. And in my mind, I was like, I'm getting revenge on the rich people. I'm going to, I'm going to just cap on the whole world. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, insult people and, and I'm, I'm angry and I want people to know it. Right. And at that time, because of the fact that I was having so many problems with my folks, I, I, I saw the cops quite a bit er, around that time. And to be totally honest with you, now I know that there are police that abuse their power and stuff like that. Uh, but the, the cops were actually really nice to me. The Santa Monica Police Department, they, every time they had to deal with me, uh, you know, I would end up in some sort of 5150 situation. I'd be at a fucking hospital. I can't believe I'm saying this on a podcast, but yeah, fuck it. You know, like anything I do, I want it to be entertaining and interesting and not boring. And hopefully this isn't boring for you. So let's, let's keep going. So, uh, I was saying insane shit at Montana around, this was around like seven o'clock at night. It's November. And again, this was eight years ago. I was a completely different person. I've evolved, I've changed, and I, the thing is, I wouldn't take any of these experiences back. I wouldn't. If I had a choice, I would go through it all again just because it shaped me, it made me who I was, it made me a little bit wiser. So I'm walking around Montana, and then, you know, I'm walking, and then I see this pipe, right? Like a PVC pipe on the ground. I'm like, oh, I'm going to walk around like I'm some sort of samurai or something. And I didn't really think I was a samurai, but I was just playing. You know what I mean? So I pick up this pipe. I'm twirling it around like I'm fucking Alex in A Clockwork Orange or something. And I'm walking around and I'm just insulting everybody. I'm just saying shit after shit after shit. Just fucking with people. You know what I mean? Just because I was so, again, so damn angry. And I'm doing my thing, insulting people. I insulted a woman. I insulted this couple. I, I, I Just being the most offensive human being on the planet. And then all of a sudden I see these red and blue lights and this cop busts out of his, uh, you know, door and tackles me like a football player, like a quarterback or whatever a quarterback does. Like he just pummels me into the grass and I deserved it. I was holding a pipe. You know what I mean? And I started talking to the cop and then the, the two cops, they're talking to this lady and I recognized the lady, but I didn't remember what I said to her. I just remember I, you know, I was just saying insane shit all around, you know? And so I, they take me to the station and the cops were, you know, being nice to me and stuff like that, just because they, they kind of knew me and stuff. And, and so they take me to the station and I'm so far gone that while I'm waiting to be booked and I'm waiting to, you know, get my fingerprints and all that shit, the mugshot and everything, uh, uh, I was like, you know, just blabbering even more. Like I was, I was, I was just so far gone, you know, like at that point, I don't think I slept. I hadn't eaten. I was experiencing what many people in their 20s experience, which I think you could call a psychotic break. I was mad. I was so mad, I let it get to me. And, you know, some people, you know, tell me, um, you know, oh, you shouldn't blame yourself for these things. And, you know, you you, you have very, you, you don't have the, you, you didn't have control over what happened and stuff. And you got your help and you're fine now. But I can say that I have some agency in my life. I really do think that people choose where they're going to go 
in one way or another. And I knew that I was going down a bad road, but I didn't care. I was so angry that I wanted to see what the edge felt like, what the edge looked like, what the how the wind felt on that edge. I wanted to be on the edge and I wanted to go over the edge and I did. And so the cops read me my Miranda rights and they put me back in the car because this is like a, it's like a bullpen, not a bullpen, like a, like a holding station where like almost like the drunk tank where they put the drunks and stuff like that. They put me back in the car and they drive me to downtown and in my mind, I'm like, well, I'm not going to a hospital. That's for sure. I'm under arrest. I'm going to jail. And while I'm, you know, driving with the cops, I'm so far gone. I'm not nervous. I'm not scared. I'm not anything. I, I honestly had this thought that like, well, you chose death and you're going to die in jail. And that's, you know, that's your thing. That's, that's, that's how your life went. It's not how you planned it, but hey, you know. You, you played your hand with this angry card and this is where it got you. And so, like, they they bring me into the jail. And right away, I mean, the guards in Twin Towers, and I know that there's been a big FBI investigation, fucking Lee Baca, the biggest pig on the planet, is going to jail and I'm so happy. Twin Towers Correctional Facility is hell. It is hell human hell it is the closest thing to hell you will ever get in america in america it 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 just is hell it's the worst place you could ever go and so they're like the guards right away i mean these guards they're the biggest motherfuckers you will ever meet in your life like they are such I was going to say a, a word, but I don't want to say it. But like they, they are such, I was going to say cocksucker, but that's not nice. You know, um, they, they, so right away, they're like, put your hands, put, put your hands behind your head and you know, put your hands up so they could frisk me. Right. And I know right away, like if, if some, any of these guards want to kill me, they can like, it, it, you know, I, I could easily die in this place. And Twin Towers Correctional Facility is huge. It's the biggest jail on the planet. And so I like put my hands up in a very sharp fashion because I don't want any of my hand movements to be misconstrued as I'm going to attack them or anything. Because I know if these motherfuckers want to crack my skull, they can. And then the guard is like, why are you doing it so weird? I'm like, well, because I don't want to get killed. And then the guy's like, you fucking weirdo. I'm like, yeah, dude, I'm a writer. I write about everything. So enjoy your uh, insults. I said that because I was fucking angry and I was crazy and I had no fear. And so they put me in the bullpen. I start talking to this guy who was there because he had some, sh you know, his stepson said he abused him or something. I'm talking to this guy. He seemed like a nice guy and he said he didn't do anything and stuff. And so, you know, I hadn't eaten or drank or anything for days. I mean, you know, maybe I had a water a few times, but like my throat was all dry. And I noticed, you know, when they checked me in and I walked to the bullpen, they everything in jail is meant to break you down and dehumanize you. So instead of like, for instance, like they don't have orange juice. They have these shitty drinks called orange drink. 
and it doesn't taste anything like orange juice. It tastes like sh piss, and it, it it's just awful. But when I was walking into the bullpen, and you know, you're getting checked in and stuff, and the check-in, oh, we'll get to that. But like, I'm walking into the bullpen, and uh, I see all these boxes of orange drink next to where all the guards are sort of hanging out and being douchebags. And so I asked this one guard who was like behind a counter. He was like this older Mexican guy. He seemed all right. Like, and I said, hey, can I grab some orange drink? My throat is kind of dry. And he's like, yeah, yeah, go ahead. So I walked down the, the hall towards the entrance. And I see the, the guy that called me a weirdo. He's sitting in his like chair and he's got these other guards with him. And I'm walking towards the orange drink. And the guy goes, the fuck are you doing? And I look at him. And again, I'm being totally honest. I'm not making any of this stuff up to make me look cool because I don't think any of this stuff is cool. I don't think it's cool that this stuff happened to me or I went through this, but it's cool that I can talk about it. And ho again, hopefully some sort of positive comes out of this. I, He says, what the fuck are you doing? And I look at him and I say, I'm grabbing orange juice. Oh, I'm sorry, orange drink. What the fuck are you doing? You're sitting in a fucking chair. And I turn my back on him and I grab my orange drink and I can hear four guards rush me, like rush right up to me. And the the, the guy who called me a weirdo, uh, who's uh, hopefully he's a, you know, he's homeless now, but he grabs his handcuffs and he, uh, they, they uh, you know, basically choke me with the handcuffs. Like they, they yank my neck with the handcuffs and uh, he handcuffs me to uh this bench he's like fucking stay here and i think he was upset because i didn't look scared or anything like that and so i'm sitting there oh and then this is the thing that i forgot when he grabs me he says he says this i couldn't believe it like but i mean i could believe it because i was dealing with it but like he goes don't touch his face <laughs> like like oh let's let's beat the fuck out of him and but don't touch his face because he can't say anything because you know i wasn't you know I wasn't one of these guys that was a habitual guy that was constantly in jail and, you know, this and that. I was, you know, I'll say it. If I was a cop, and I said this to a dude who was a black dude. His name was Evil, and it was like my last day in jail. And I said this to him, and he agreed. I said, dude, if I was a couple shades darker, I'd still be here. And that's just real. If I was a black guy, let's say, or even Hispanic, and, you know, they classified me with the Hispanics. I had to join, you know, a gang, pretty much. Uh, yeah, I did. I'm not joking. Like, I had to join a gang, the, the Hispanic gang. I won't name them. Uh, uh, if I was a couple shades darker, I would still be there. I would probably still, I'd be in prison. I would be, you know, like, and I told this to a guy. His name was Evil. He was a nice guy. And he agreed. He's like, yeah, you're right. But anyway, so they ch handcuffed me to this, to this bench, and the whole time I'm saying, dude, what does what does that mean? Don't touch his face. What do, what does he mean by that? You know, when my and I had no lawyer at the time. I was completely bluffing. I'm like, dude, when my lawyer is done with you, you're gonna be a security guard at fucking Seven Eleven. And the other thing that I kept doing to fuck with the guard was, you know, they they attach me with these four person or, or two people handcuffs. So there's like four things that you could put a wrist through, right? And I'm taking one of them and I'm going. Like snapping it in and out of the, the thing to make this really annoying noise. And I just keep talking about, oh, when I'm done with you, you're going to be a security guard at 7-Eleven, boy. Ha, ha, ha. What the, don't touch his face. What does that mean? I think my lawyer would think that's very interesting. 
And the guy just, he, he couldn't deal with me. I mean, really, like, he just kept looking at me, like, you know, mad-dogging me. But there was nothing he could do because I'm not stupid, you know. Even in my most angry, crazy mood, I'm, I'm not a dummy, you know what I mean? And so the check-in process begins. And this check-in process, I imagine, and I don't, I don't mean to say this in a, in a, in a offensive way because I, I, I really don't mean this in a way that's offensive. It's like what I imagine the check-in process at Auschwitz to be. It lasts for fucking ever. And then here's the thing with jail. They keep you away from clocks. So you have no idea what time it is. So like one day could feel like a whole fucking week. And so they, they, they check me in. And, you know, during the check-in process, I started, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty friendly, gregarious guy, I guess, when I want to be. And so I was talking to this crip who, who was missing the, the bottom row of his teeth, and he kind of looked like a vampire because the teeth that he did have kind of stuck out. And he was this crip, he was a black dude. And we were just talking, and he was like really into serial killers and stuff, and he claimed to know the guy that shot Tupac, which I, I didn't totally believe him, but he was a cool dude, like we were just talking and stuff. And uh, and then here's the thing, like you know, I'm uh, I'm a <laughs> I had to kind of play a part just to survive. Like you know, after they separated me and the crip guy, because you know they they figure out what your situation is and who you are and if you're this or that or what kind of offender you are, and then they they cordon you off to other places and so. And again, I cannot stress how long this process takes. Like it's the most dehumanizing thing in the world like I remember you know you've seen this in movies like uh and then that's the other thing because I watched so many movies it was so interesting to me to see the real deal as opposed to seeing some sort of Hollywood thing of it you know like for instance that you've all seen this scene where like okay you're gonna have to shower now you you have to you know like almost like in Shawshank Redemption when you have to do the shower before you go in the way that went down is this guard goes inside and he's like inside the shower. And he's like, all right, you're all going to strip down to your balls. And, you know, you're going to you have five minutes to shower. Blah, 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 blah. I'm an idiot. And honest to God, this happened. I, and everything that I'm telling you happened. OK, and I'm leaving a lot of shit out. Like one day I'm going to write a book about this or something because I can really like it'll totally be crystallized in my mind and I can just, you know talk about it, you know, more openly and stuff, because, you know, eight years isn't that long. Uh, so th this, he's like, strip down to your balls, take your clothes off and get in the shower, blah, 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 blah. I'm an idiot. He didn't say that, but uh, I was thinking it. He, he was an idiot. We all do that, right? And uh, I'm no homophobe, but I don't like being naked around guys, and I don't like naked guys being around me, but we all do it. And one guy, this Mexican kid, didn't t take his boxers off right? So the doors open for the guards to come in. And this guard immediately sees the, the guy didn't take his boxers off. Okay. What is, how did, how do you think he reacted to that? Without skipping a fucking beat, without skipping a fucking beat. I say it again to stress how much of a lack of beat skipping this guy did he walks right up to this poor fucking kid and he just clocks him in the face and two other guards grab him and start beating the fuck out of him and they drag him out of the shower room. That's the situation that I was in. That's that this was uh, and I was like, OK, this is this is my world now. Better make yourself comfortable and, you know, try to be positive. 
And, uh, you know, I mean, it, it is, it's just the check-in process is so dehumanizing. Like, when they have you stripped down and, and uh, when they had us, like, stripped down and, like, you know, we had to, like, bend, we had to, like, crouch and cough so so they could make sure none of the inmates were bringing stuff up their assholes or whatever. They had a woman, like, a, a African-American woman, kind of cute, too, like, watch us. And it was the day after Halloween, so she had, like, a fairy wand, and she was, like you know, degrading all, like, saying, like, oh, man, you guys are a bunch of women and this and that and just, you know. And then uh, she even said to me, because, again, mind you, and talk about bad hair day, my hair at this point is bright red. It looked like fucking Rahana's hair at one point when she had her hair like that. You know what I mean? I thought it looked fashionable, but now in retrospect, I'm like, maybe that's not the best hairstyle to have in jail. The lady looks at me, she's like, you got feminine characteristics. And I said, well, you're a CO, so I guess we're even. And she didn't say anything. And, you know, like, and, uh, you know, and then the, the, the crip guy who was at, with me at the time, he's like, yo, you handled that, that bitch good. You know, like he said that. And so, you know, like I got, you know, separated from the crip guy. And then I started having a conversation with this Mexican guy who had horns tattooed on his head. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen uh, dudes, uh, Hispanic men in particular, with horns tattooed on their head. But you will see much of this in Twin Towers Correctional Facility. You can rest assured you will see uh, a number of Hispanic gentlemen with horns tattooed on their head. And that was the gang that I actually had to join uh, to, uh, you know, to survive. But I started talking to this guy and the thing that we were talking about. And this is the thing that really let me survive. And it allowed me to relate to almost every prisoner I came across was movies. And popular culture and talking about, like, the thing that I talked about with this this guy with horns tattooed on his head was Lupin the Third, who, which is, like, my favorite anime character. And we were talking about that. And then, again, like, at this point, it's, like, nighttime. It feels like I, I've been in there for a few days. But it was only, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't more than 24 hours. And so the whole check-in, the hell of the check-in process is almost over. And then they, they, they bring me up to this area. And you, to give you a good mental picture of... So each floor has about like five or four pods. And in each pod, there's like maybe like 50 guys or whatever, right? And so I go on one of the floors. And one of the guards is like, go to pod C. I don't know what the fuck, where the fuck pod C is. So I'm like, okay, I'll go to pod C. So then I, I go towards this door and I open it and I hear someone yell, what the fuck are you doing? And not even like that. That sounded like uh, like uh, a parent exasperated as at a, at a child. No, I hear like, what the fuck are you doing? And all of a sudden, and listener friend, if there's one person in, in the world that I do not like, that you could say, I hate this person, it is this person. And I'm going to say his name because I don't give a fuck. His, he was deputy. <laughs> goes right up to me. And this is the second time I was choked in less than 24 hours. He grabs me by the throat like fucking hard, hard. And he squeezes. And this was the most I've had to like, I have a big mouth. Obviously, I do a fucking podcast. I, I can talk a lot, right? 
I hope to God I never get in this situation again, obviously. But like when he grabbed me by the throat, I was in a situation where I had to reason with him quietly with my library voice, basically, so he doesn't hit me more or, you know, like start beating on me. Because at the time when I was there, he broke a dude's jaw. Like he, he loved to fuck people up. I said to him very quietly, listen, it was an honest mistake. Because what happened was I grabbed the door for the for the deputy station. And if you go towards there, they're going to fuck you up, you know. I tell him really quietly, listen, it was an honest mistake. I thought that was the pod that I was supposed to go to. I'm really sorry. I, I did not mean anything by it. And he pushes me. And he says, go fucking go over there. And he had this other partner with him that he was always with. And I used to call and Urkel because he was like a black guy and he was nerdy looking and I could tell Urkel kind of felt bad for me or something he's like come on sit sit here you know and then he handcuffs me and so I wait uh, you know it's I'm, they handcuff me to the area where you uh, talk to visitors and stuff but no you know it was after visiting hours so nobody was there and I was just by myself and they I'm handcuffed there for like an hour and then finally they let me into the pod and um uh, you know, I uh, go to the pod and it was like a shanty town or something. It was just a bunch of the criminally insane people, you know, and it was crazy. I mean, the thing that's nuts is that I made friends in jail. Like I, 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 I survived and there was one guy that like uh, seemed kind of dangerous, but even him, like he, he came up to me and he would look at everybody crazy. He was a big dude. He was a big white dude. And he had, I don't know why this disturbed me so much, but he had flames tattooed on his fists and he would go up to people and make like kissy faces. And I guess he loved doing that to me because like he thought for a second, I mean, because he stopped. Uh, he would go up to me and make like a kissy face. And I guess it's because my hair was, you know, punk red, Rihanna red. And uh, I sort of, you know, and then the other thing is, you know, you, you're hearing the way I talk, right? In there, I was talking with way more slang and a bond. And I talk with slang. I love, I love talking and I love speech and stuff. You know, I, I think it's fun to talk. So it's fun to know slangs and words and cool words and stuff like that. But when I was in there, I was so like, you would have thought I was an extra in Mean Streets or something. That's how I had to talk because that's how I thought I could survive, you know? Like this guy would come up to like, come up to me and be like, yo, what's up, man? How you doing, cutie? How you doing? Like in a very intimidating way. I'd be like, yo, I'm not gay. I, I you know, I've, this is just my style. You know what I'm saying? You know, like, and then even that guy I connected to because I told him about Ichi the Killer. And he was like, oh, what is that movie? And I would tell him about it and stuff. And so they put me in this pod. And I remember that night I could hear thunder from outside. And it was, it just felt like God was mad at me for, for, allowing myself to to get in that state and get in that situation and i was you know i was so damn angry and still and so you know just on my own planet that i was and i thank god because i just couldn't see the danger that i was in i couldn't see it i i kind of knew i had an intuition that allowed me to survive there but i didn't really think that i would die there i really didn't i never think i'm gonna die i mean you know i i i I always think, well, I got to make my movies first and then I'll check out, you know, like, I mean, not, I, I would never commit suicide, but I mean, like, you know, once I'm done making all the movies that I want to make, God willing, then I'll, I'll, I'll feel ready to die. But I mean, at this, even still at this stage of my life, I, I'm not afraid of death. It doesn't scare me. It doesn't freak me out. You know, like it's just something that happens to 
the, the best of us, really. All of us, really. And so I'm in this pod, and I'm making my friends, and then the next day, I have my court date, or the next second day or something like that. And this pod, I mean, everybody was just nuts and violent and crazy. Like that guy that would blow kisses at me. Like he would go up to this old dude and start combing his hair. And everything he would do was designed to intimidate you. And then the old guy who looked like... And I met a guy there, this old guy. He met Charles Manson. Like he knew Charles Manson. He was like an old biker Hells Angels guy. And this old guy would not back out, back down from this other guy. And they would just have this constant thing. So anyway, that's the type of person that I was dealing with in this place, you know? And so I go to my court thing. I go on the bus. Like in the morning, they call my name. I, I, I go on the bus and I meet this guy named Sweetman, this black dude, really nice guy. And and uh, he'll, he'll come back into this story. And... Uh, I go on the bus and uh, I go to my court date and uh, and again, like because of the fact that you're being kept away from clocks and everything, everything feels like years, like it just feels insane. And so I go to my court date and uh, I meet this, so then they call me in to talk to my lawyer and I have no idea who my lawyer is going to be. And this guy who I'm going to talk, I owe my life to this guy. But this guy, my brother, who I wasn't getting along with my brother at the time, but he helped me. Like he he found this guy because his it was the father of one of his friend's girlfriends, Randy Rich, best lawyer in the world. And he said, hi, I'm uh, Zach's girlfriend's dad. And right away, I was like, oh shit, I've made fun of Zach. And I thought for a second, I thought he was Zach's dad. And I, I Zach is my brother's friend. I thought, oh man, I've, I've goofed on. I've, I, w- I said not nice things about Zach. Because I was in a weird place. Zach is actually a really good kid, good guy. Uh, and, I was, and then he was like, listen, um, they will let you off if you agree to go to some sort of psychiatric program. Like an outpatient thing. And I said, yeah, jail sucks. Of course. Yes, let's do it. And he said, okay, uh, you're, you know, and basically my next court date was three weeks from then. So I thought, okay, I got three weeks in this place. I, I think I'll, I'll I, I think I'll survive. I have good survival instincts. I think I'll be okay. They, you know, drive us back to, to Twin Towers Hell Correctional Facility. And I go, and because of the fact that before I went to jail, like I was, I was out in the sun constantly, like my face was all sunburned and, you know, my, it felt like my throat was just constantly dry. And I had this cellmate, Selly, they call them. And I was with this Japanese dude, this older Japanese kind of Yakuza looking guy, this older white guy that looked homeless, like he was homeless on the outs. And this Mexican Hispanic dude that had like a huge cross tattooed on his arm. And I'm pretty sure he was in, everybody was talking about it, like he was in for a murder beef because he was going to court every day. Like if you're in for some stupid bullshit like marijuana offense or something, you're going to court maybe, you know, once and then they'll schedule you for like a month or three weeks like me, you know, afterwards or whatever. But if you're with a, on a murder beef, the trial is every day. So every day you're going to court. And so, you know, my cellmates hated this guy because he was so fucking dumb. He, he uh, flushed uh, those orange drink cartons or grape drink, whichever it was, uh, because they, they had an apple drink too. Uh, you know, all the juices, but not juice, drink. Huh? 
um he flushed them down the toilet and it clogged our bathroom so we always had to use the you know the the day room bathroom which was like you know open to everybody and so nobody liked this guy and i did something that really was a dumb move it was a dumb move but i just didn't i thought i could get away with it you know like i've stolen in my life as a kid i used to steal a lot i used to i used to imagine i was danny ocean and i would steal from blockbuster constantly and that was just one of the things i used to steal videos and and stuff but so when i got back from court this guy had shampoo and i needed to moisturize my face because i was just so sunburned and stuff and so i took a small dot of the shampoo and I put it on my, like, smeared it on my face. And I didn't think anything of it. Like, I just thought, okay, there's shampoo. I didn't even know it was his. I just thought it was just in our cell. And uh, I thought it belonged to the to the white guy. And uh, so then it's nighttime and we're all like, you know, and the, the, the fucked up, I mean, there's a million fucked up things about Twin Towers Correctional Facility. But one of them is just the, the food schedule. You have breakfast at four and then lunch at seven and then dinner is at four. So there's this huge space between, uh, and when I say lunch at seven, I mean seven in the morning, in the fucking morning. Can you believe that? And, you know, every, again, everything is designed to break you there. And my nutrition at that, when I was there was so low that I was seeing spots and somebody told me that's what they want. They want your nutrition so low that you're just, you're, you're almost, you're on the verge of being malnourished. And so I sort of smear some of the shampoo on my face and the guy comes up to me and he's like, Hey, did you take my shampoo? And I just started yelling at the guy because I was just so irritated that, that he would even ask me. And I was just so irritated at everything. I was just angry. And I said out loud, dude, I'm not going to fucking blow you. Okay. You can forget it. I'm not blowing you. You asked me, I'm not doing it. And I yelled this out in front of everybody. Everybody heard it. Right. And, um, and he didn't say anything and he just walked away. And I was yelling at him, like yelling. I would yell right now, but I don't want to ruin the microphone. But I was just yelling because I was so angry. And it was, hey, it was a stupid thing to take his shampoo. I didn't know whose it was and I didn't think anything would come of it. But I guess somehow he knew that somebody took some of his shampoo and stuff. And he had a fucking right to, uh, you know, to confront me. And my only, you know reflex was to sort of accuse him of of wanting to do a gay act with me because i thought everybody would hate him and you know so then what happened was so then we i go to my cell and he he goes to the shower right and i'm talking and then one of the guys he was like the head guy at uh you know um you know in the in the pod he pulls me aside and he was the guy that sort of, you know, he was a trustee or something. Like he was the guy that sort of handled everything. He was a nice guy. And he comes up to me and he's like, yo, what's, what's going on? And I'm like, dude, I'm sorry. I'm just really irritated. And he's like, listen, just, just stay away from each other and stuff. And you know, like you gotta, you got three weeks here and you know, you're, you're going home. So just, just, just relax. I'm like, okay. So I go to my cell and I'm talking to the Japanese guy and the Japanese guy and the white guy are like bitching about this guy. And I'm like, yeah, this guy's a fucking idiot, blah, 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 blah. Because they were angry about the, the milk carton thing or the orange drink carton flushing down the toilet. 
And all of a sudden, I feel a boom. Like, he punched me on the back of the head. And one of the things, you know, I remember this in The Dark Knight. There's that part where Batman slams the Joker's head into the into the table. And then the Joker is like, never start with the head. The victim gets all fuzzy and he can't feel anything. Well, anyway, what I'm saying is that happened to me. Like, I couldn't feel anything after that. But what he does is he punches me in the back of the head and he punches me. He he throws me down on the ground and he starts punching me out of the cell, like grabbing me and punching me. And he keeps punching me. And while he's punching me, he's like, what's up, homie? Like he said that. I got respect for that. That's, you know, like he, he managed to find time to say what's up, homie, to me while he's punching the bejesus out of me. He punches me. He throws me down the stairs and I split you know, a part of my chin, I had to get stitches and he throws me down the stairs. And this was one of those moments in my life that, that I don't want to say it was a cool moment. It wasn't cool. It, nothing about this is cool. Again, it, nothing about going to jail is cool. It sucks. It sucks. It sucks. Okay. But I was covered in blood at this point. Like my my chin was just, it, there was blood all over. My, my shirt was completely bloody. He stops punching me. Everybody's looking, all eyes on me. I calmly get up and I stare him down as he walks back up to, his, to our cell. I wanted to kill this fucking guy, but the, the, you know, uh, and I just sort of patted my tongue, my, my, uh, my chin and I just mad dogged him. My, you know, and then I told someone, I said, dude, my fucking back was turned. Not, I don't even know if that would have made a difference. Maybe this guy could have killed me, but still. So then that, 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 that nice trustee guy pulls me aside and he's like, listen, uh, you know, the guards are going to be in any second. Uh, you fell down some stairs. You fell down the stairs. I said, yeah, okay. I fell down the stairs. I'm not going to fucking snitch on the guy. I said, yeah, I fell down some stairs. The guards come in. They put me on a gurney. And they're like, so what happened? And no sensitivity from these guards whatsoever. They, they just did not like me. And uh, they're like, so what happened? And then I started sort of giggling. And I said, I fell down some stairs. I couldn't. I, I felt like Larry David, like, explaining it. But, like, I was like... You know, it was really interesting. I was walking. I'm very clumsy. And I tripped over my own foot. Can you believe that? I fell down some stairs. And so they're like, okay. And uh, they start, the, the nurses start stitching me up. And this was the only time that I allowed this to happen in that entire time that I was there. A tear, like, uh, formed in my eye. And I just said to myself, I hate this place. And the nurse sort of, you know, kind of caressed my cheek. She was this nice Filipino lady. And she said, uh, you know, um, if you yell at guys here, they're going to think you're a loose cannon and they're going to... They're going to jump you. And I said, okay. All right. And uh, so then they, so naturally when something like that happens, they have to change your pod. 
uh, and uh, so they changed me to this pod. And this is so weird because there's so much Nazi shit going on in, in uh, and I'm against Nazis. I don't like uh, skinheads and this and that and blah, 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 blah. There was a guy in the other pod named Bear Beasley. I'm pretty sure he's passed on because he had liver cancer and, uh, you know, like uh, he was... He was going to prison and, you know, I, I, he was a skinhead. Skinhead, right? The biggest sweetheart you've ever met in your life. He talked to the black guys. He would play gar cards with everybody. He was this guy that you can tell if he lived in a kind of different environment. Maybe if he read the right books, seen the good flicks, seen, you know, you know he, he would have had a different life. And uh, he was the sort of the head, one of the head guys at this other pod. And he said, listen, uh, you know, the, the we're going to put you in this cell with this other guy. And it turned out it was Sweetman, this big black guy. He was really he was my friend there. And uh, we're going to put you in his cell. He's the nicest guy. Listen, don't bring no drama to this pod, okay? You know, we're, we're, we're a good pod and, you know, like... And I said, okay, I won't, I won't bring any drama. I won't yell at anybody. I'm, I'm, I just, I, I just want to fucking survive this thing. And so it was funny because like I go into the pod and I'm like, okay, another pod, which lunatic am I going to have to deal with? And it was like out of heaven, I see this black guy sort of smiling like, hey, you were the guy that I was talking to when we went to court. Like I had had a whole conversation about Suge Knight with this guy, Sweetman. And, uh, you know, I... I survived. I was in that pod and that pod, everybody was friendly. And so what happened was there was one guard that was nice. There was only one guard that was cool. It was a black guy named Deputy Gordon. And during lunch or breakfast or whichever it was, uh, Deputy Gordon says, yo, I hear uh, people call you Pinky. Because at that time, you know, because my hair was all red and shit, the asshole guards would call me Pinky. Like, you know, like, oh, we're going to emasculate him by calling him Pinky, which is so clever, guys. And I say, yeah, you're, you're, uh, uh, your Caucasian inmates call me Pinky. And at that time, you know, the, the, the other inmates would call me red because my hair was red. But it was Deputy Gordon that sort of made it official because I, for some reason, the guy liked me or something. You know, he thought I was funny or whatever. He's, I think I know why it was. Because one time, because music is really important to me. I love listening to music. And one time, they put DMX on the speakers. And I started dancing because I was so happy to hear music. And I was like doing a hip-hop dance. I don't even dance. I don't even know how to dance. I look like an idiot when I dance. And everybody was laughing. They thought it was funny. But uh, I think that's why Deputy Gordon liked me. Or maybe just because I'm just a fucking likable guy. I don't know. But he said, nah, you're red now. And from that point forward, everybody called me red. And it was then that I realized, oh my God. This was one of the best moments in my life where I realized, oh my God. My pen name is Nas Red. And I was so happy like I was for the rest of the time in jail, I was like, I cannot wait to get out of here because I'm Nas Red now. That's who I am. I have been christened Nas Red. That is who I am. And 
I've been Nas Red ever since. I remember, you know, like there's so many little things that you can do to keep yourself occupied and keep yourself from going totally nuts in jail because it really, after a while, it starts to feel like torture. Is um, you can draw on, on your walls. In fact, I mean, this is gross, but like there, there are areas in jail where people are so far gone, they're making art on the walls with their own shit. Like that, you know, the, the, there's a, a lot of things you can do to to keep yourself busy. And, you know, the kind of pencils that they would give you in jail are those little golf pencils, those ones that are like, they're not bigger than your pinky, so you can't really stab someone with it. And I just remember, I remember I drew, I wrote Nas Red on my wall, just kind of knowing that's my name now. That's who I am. And thus Nas Red was born. And who is Nas Red? Well, Nas Red is the CEO of Wild 7. Nas Red is somebody that went to hell and survived, and he's back. He's here now. And Nas Red is going to make his film. What does Wild 7 do? We make entertaining films, entertaining content, original content. We make stuff for kids and the young at heart. And I'm not talking about some PGG bullshit. I'm talking about hard R's, hard NC-17s, whatever the fuck you want. We do things that are entertaining. Everything we do is entertaining. Everything we do, like Wu-Tang, is for the children. Because I'm here for a reason. And I feel like when I allowed myself to go there, when I allowed myself to get to the edge, the thing that maybe did it for me was the fact that I turned my back on my love of cinema. My love of cinema is why I am here. That's it. There's no other reason. And there's no way I will ever go back. I will continue to evolve. I will continue to grow. And I will make Debbie and the Devil. And it will be fucking awesome. Why? Because I know what hell looks like. Because I saw it. It sucks. It sucks ass. But I survived. And if I survived, then that can only mean to me that I'm here for some sort of kooky reason. And I believe that that reason is cinema. Pure and simple. That's it. That's why I'm here. That's what I love. That is it. That's the only thing you have to ever remember about Nas Red, that he lives for cinema. And if he doesn't live for cinema, he goes mad. He loses himself. And I don't want to say, oh, it's the only thing I have, because I have a lot. I have many blessings. I'm a very blessed guy. But from here on out, my only priority in life is making original content, making original films, making cartoons, making anything that I can create that would be interesting to some fucking kid because I don't want anybody to go through what I went through. One thing that we do at Wild 7 is... And we just started, you know, like uh, we have created t-shirts. It's a very simple t-shirt of our W7 logo. And I don't want to turn this into an infomercial for t-shirts, but like, you know, I made a decision to put my money where my mouth is. 10% of what Wild 7 makes goes to Children Incorporated, which is a charity for children all around the world. Why? Because, because I want to. 
I sold my first shirt, few shirts and it was the greatest thing donating 10% of those proceeds to Children Incorporated because I want to do good in this life. While I'm on this planet, I want to help in any way that I can. But I know it's, it's tied to cinema. Everything that I do is tied to cinema. That's it. That is it. Because I really feel like if you take your dreams for granted, if you forget about what you love in this life, you will fucking go mad. And it won't be fun. So if you're listening to this, if you have any dream, if you have anything that you want to do, never give it up. Only you may evolve and, and, and what you want in life may change. But buddy, woman, guy, girl, transsexual, whatever you are, whoever you are, don't give up the love, man. Whatever that may be. Don't give it up. It's why we're here. The only reason us stupid human beings who are destroying the planet are here is to love and that's it. I'm so screwy that I can't really apply my love in any romantic sense towards any girl because I'm afraid of feelings. But it's the love of cinema. Cinema. And Wild 7 is cinema. Wild 7 is renegade cinema. And when Debbie and the Devil is made, you will see the greatest, most beautiful horror film. Okay, I'm talking too much. But that's it. You wanted to know, or maybe you didn't, who Nasred was and where he comes from? That's it. He comes from Twin Towers Correctional Facility. He was born there. You can thank the guards for creating me. You can thank the inmates for uh, watching out for me. You can thank them because I got out of that fucking hellhole and now I'm here. And eight years later... I'm making my fucking movie and it feels so fucking great. I can't even tell you. Because that's it. What, what are we here for if not to love? What are we here for if not to follow our dreams? What are we here for if not to kind of live by example? One last thing that I'll say. I remember a big thing before I went to jail was I always had this vision of me martyring myself for children with my art in some weird way. Like, I think in some convoluted way I wanted, I don't know, Al-Qaeda or some alt-right guy to kill me and, and my art would live on and children would be inspired and, and they would want to do what I did or whatever. And there was a guy in jail named Mr. Greenwood and he had one arm. He was a black power guy. He was one of the guys that orchestrated the peace truce between the Bloods and the Crips. He was a great guy. He, had, he was an awesome guy. Like he had black power tattoos, really cool guy. And he had one arm, but I mean, he would still play basketball when they would let us out in the thing. And he would still do push-ups and all that shit. And I told him, yeah, man, when I get out, Excuse me. When I get out, I want to, you know, make movies and eventually someone's going to, you know, kill me because I got a big mouth and shit, blah, 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 blah. And he looks at me and he's like, that's not how you do it. That's not how you teach a kid. How do you think you teach a kid? And I said, I don't really know. How? Well, you're telling me. How? He said, by example. You live by example. And if you live by a good example, people will, uh, people will take notice. And they will, you know, try to live their lives in, in, a, in a good way. And... Uh, I feel good. I feel good having put all this out there. I don't feel uh, like I should cut anything out. I think I'm just going to let it all in because, you know, 
uh, with this pod, I, I really like doing this podcast. And, but I feel like, you know, I felt like I wanted to take it to the next level. I wanted to open up to whoever listens because, you know, a nice woman, that nice woman that tweeted me about 50 Shades of Grey, that felt good. And, you know, I wanted to get real. And hopefully this wasn't too heavy. And hopefully, you know, hopefully this will give you some sort of inspiration in your life. The, the, the lesson is lose your dreams and you will lose your mind. The other lesson is Wild 7 is a fucking force to be reckoned with. The other lesson is Nas Red will never be killed. And that's it. That's all I have to say. Next week, we are going to review Power Rangers. I believe with Jason, if we can get our schedules straight, and other movies. Movies, movies, movies. Movies are the greatest thing ever. If you're listening to this, you love movies, and I love you for it. And give me a hug. Come here. Give me a hug. Give me, come here. Come here. You smell good. You smell like a, like a very strong cologne. I love you. And you know what? I'm happy I did this. And that's the show. And it was a while since we did a show. And I thought long and hard about how this is going to go down. But I thought, you know, this is the best thing to do. This is, I had to lay it all out there. And if you're curious about the incident, wait, I didn't say why I even got in jail. Uh, the, the the when I met with the lawyer, I'll say it like this. Uh, when I no, you know what? If you really want to see, you know, uh, what I did, just Google my name. It's like the first article you'll see. You know, it's like the some shitty newspaper, like the Santa Monica Star or something, reported it. Basically, what happened was the the I told the lawyer I was like, was it something I? I mean, it was something I said, right? And he was like, yeah. He was like, do you know what you said? And I said, dude, I said so much crazy shit. I don't even know. And he said, you said to a woman, how would you like your vagina to be cut? And if there's one thing that I can say about that, that misogyny is not in my heart. It's not something I like. I don't like it when men uh, talk terrible about women. I love women. And forever, that article is going to be there when you search my name. And I don't give a fuck. I really don't. If there's one person that I could apologize for, for this whole thing, it's that woman. But what I would say is, and, you know, I guess I, I can say it now. I'm sorry that I contributed to that feeling of, like, a woman cannot walk out alone at night or something. I'm sorry I, con I'm sorry I gave you a fear. But that's not me. That will never be me. I, I say sorry to that woman. But as far as society is concerned, fuck society. Going to Twin Towers Correctional Facility was what made me realize slavery, people, is still a fucking thing. It's not going away. It's not done. It's just changed a little bit. I would say sorry to the late, but fuck society. It allowed me to see the hypocrisy of this society. The hypocrisy of the fact that I saw dudes in there, really nice guys, that were looking at huge sentences for shit that if somebody else in a nicer neighborhood would have done, they would have been off. And it's not just a black or white thing. I think it's black, Mexican, and poor whites. Those are the people that get the shaft. And maybe a few Asians, I don't know. But anyway, a fucking plane is going by and that's my cue to leave. This was, I think this, I feel good. I feel good. So give me a fist bump. Boom, here. 
boom. Okay, so that's it. That's our show. Next week, we are reviewing Power Rangers. Next week, we are back on the Nas Red Movie Podcast. We are just going to be talking about movies and this and that. If I have any new things to report in regards of Debbie and the Devil, I will come here on this beautiful, beautiful platform, and I will tell you, I love you. That's it. Life is about love, and we should all love each other, and that's it. And I feel so good having gotten all of that out. So, until next time... Follow me on Twitter at Mr. Nasred. Follow me on Instagram at Mr. Nasred. Email me at nasredpodcast at gmail.com and visit me at nasred.com for all of your Nasred needs. And please do like, share, and subscribe on iTunes and leave me a beautiful review. Goodbye, my dear, dear, movie-loving, awesome friends. Thanks for listening.